This is Job chapter 1. Job is just before the Psalms if you're looking for it. Beginning in verse 13 and we're going to read through 22. Now there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And there came a messenger to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them. And the Sabians fell upon them and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword. And I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, The fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them. And I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, The Chaldeans formed three groups and made a raid on the camels and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword. And I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, Your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And behold, a great wind came across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house. And it fell upon the young people. And they are dead. And I alone have escaped to tell you. Then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and fell on the ground and worshipped. And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb and naked shall I return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And all of this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. May God add blessing to the reading of his word. Your Bible's open to Job chapter 1. And I will ask you to take your Bibles and turn quickly to Luke chapter 22. You see there on the sheet of paper I gave you, titled today's message, When God Doesn't Answer Why. When God does not answer the question why. We've been going through Luke or Job in our Sunday school class that I've been teaching and it has been a huge challenge to me. I want to walk us through uh, basically the whole book of Job. So hold on, I will try to get you out of here by 3 o'clock, but uh, we'll see what happens. But why the book of Job? Obviously, Job, uh, as we were just reading, if you read the whole first book, uh, chapter of the book of Job, you find out very quickly that God calls Job a righteous and blameless man. Not that he was perfect, but he was right before God. And yet, this very thing that Aaron just read for us, Satan comes, God allows Satan to test Job. And we're going to walk through what is Job's response and why, why would we study this? And obviously, uh, the innocent suffering of Job, Job did not deserve this. It was not because of something Job did. So as we study this this morning, I do not want you to think that Job is covering anything that comes into my life that I deem bad. For example, if I make some foolish decisions with my money and I waste my money and all of a sudden my car breaks down and I say, well, God, I don't have the money. Well... Uh, if I was foolish with that money and threw it away, and then all of a sudden this bill comes up, that, that, that's my fault. If I am driving to work tomorrow, not me, I, I drive across the street, but if you are driving to work tomorrow and you're doing 90 down 64 and you come over, over the hill and you know which hill I'm talking about as you're coming into Raleigh and there sits the highway patrolman and he busts you, that is not some innocent suffering trial. You were speeding. Slow down. 
But what Job is covering is there are many things that go on in our life that we would say, God, I don't, I don't understand why we deserve that. And obviously, Job has pointed us to the one that would come that would be totally innocent. Christ himself, God, becomes flesh, and he suffers and he dies to pay for our sins. Yes, Job is pointing us to Christ. But in Luke chapter 22, as Jesus is about to go to the cross, verse 31, he says to Peter, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he may sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail, and when you have turned again, strengthen your brethren. Jesus looks at Peter and says, Peter, Satan desires to have you, that you is plural, all the disciples. Satan desires and has demanded that he wants you. We're getting the same picture that we got out of Job chapter Job chapter 1, where Satan comes before God, says, God, I have been going to and fro on the earth. There is no one following you. God says, have you considered Job? He says, well, the only reason that you allow Job follows you is because you have a hedge of protection about him. If you would turn him loose to me, he will deny you. He will turn from you. And God allows it. Now, a couple things real quick. Notice that God puts parameters on it. God is still in control. Though God is not doing the testing, and God is not doing and bringing the suffering, He is allowing it to happen with parameters. But I think we have all been in a situation, as we go back to Job chapter 1, where we have the question that Job will ask. I remember when Catherine and I left the church that we were at in Florida and moved up here to go to seminary. And I was convinced this is where God wants us. We had prayed about it and talked about it. And we had come up here and we left. And we had our nest egg of savings until I could get a job. And, and we come up here and we move into the seminary housing. And the guy across the street says, man, go to UPS. Everybody gets hired at UPS. If you're willing to work, you'll get hired at UPS. I'm a manager. I put in a good word for you. I apply at UPS. Well, here's the fact of the matter. Everybody but Steve Cromie gets hired at UPS. I'd go down there and ask him about it. I'd go down there and ask him about it again, and I'd ask him about it again. Oh, yeah, yeah, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. Guys I know that just moved into the neighborhood, they're getting hired. For some reason, they didn't like me. And all of a sudden, May turns into June, and June turned into July, and the, the Tahoe that we had saved up our money to get, the, the vehicle that we so desired, we had to sell the four-wheeler, which actually got me my wife, we had to sell. And all of a sudden, you begin to ask God, wait a second, when I moved up here, I thought this was your will, and now everything's gone. Why? If you watched any of March Madness, you saw on ESPN, Fox Sports, CBS, you saw the story of Nate Oates, the coach at the University of Buffalo, who was a high school coach two years ago in Michigan. He actually played football with me in college. Nate had been a high school coach, wanted to be a college coach, and all of a sudden he just happened to meet Danny Hurley, who introduced him to Bobby Hurley, who hired him to be on his staff at the University of Buffalo for a year before Bobby left Arizona State. And all of a sudden Nate is sitting there with a head coaching job in college with only one year of coaching experience at the college level. Unheard of. Wow. And he's preparing for his first season as a college coach and his best player who played for him in high school gets busted for stealing gets kicked off the team. He's in a conference with his coaches and his phone keeps buzzing and buzzing and buzzing. He looks down and it's his wife. She calls him to tell him, I have cancer. 
And through this magical season and a run back to the NCAA championship, his wife is in the hospital taking chemo after chemo after chemo, allowed to get out just to go see a game and go back in. At this very moment, they're shuttling their mothers and and people back and forth to take care of their precious daughters as she has had a bone marrow transplant, more chemo, and they just put her stem cells back in. And you look at that and you say, why? You say, yeah, 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 that's out there. But then we come to our church. You have situations like Sean and Jennifer. And they can't seem to get a break. And you say, why? Why, God? And you say, well, I don't have one of those massive situations. But folks, when we go through innocent suffering, suffering we can't control, it doesn't have to be massive to begin to shake your faith. Maybe it's the loss of a job. Maybe it's somebody close to you, a family member, a church member, somebody, a friend that all of a sudden turns on you, somebody close, and all of a sudden they turn on you and begin to gossip, and they turn their back and leave, and you say, why? Maybe it's a child who you brought up in church and you raised, and all of a sudden they get out of church, and they turn their back on God, and they left, and you say, God. you've lost your job through no fault of your own you can't seem to make things work and you say God why I want to look this morning and ask the question what happens when you ask why but God never answers the question why let's look first at the reaction of Job reaction of Job in chapter 1 verse 21 he says Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Here we see Job's immediate response. It's the one. It's the verse you hear quoted all the time. Blessed be the name of the Lord. The Lord ta- gives, and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. You go over to chapter 2. His wife, through, as his time has been going on, says, Wait a second, curse God and die. Why are you doing this? And Job says... Shall we receive good from God and shall we not receive evil? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. And so we see Job's immediate response. And if you're anything like me, when tough times come and your wife says, you know, listen, we got to pay this bill or, hey, we're having problems with this and we're having problems with that. If you're anything like me, you're like, okay, hang on. We'll get through it. God's with us. He'll walk through it with us. And that is great. Anybody been there? Oh, man, God will get us through it. It's great for the first couple days. And all of a sudden, a week goes by, and you say, wait a second, God. I mean, I know you did this for your glory, and I know you're going to work things out for good, but I sure wish you would hurry a little bit. Right? Three days is long enough. All of a sudden, the days turn into weeks. And the weeks turn into months. And the months turn into years. And all of a sudden, that immediate response of, oh yeah, we'll get through it. God will take us through it. Begins to get shaken. And Job here in the beginning says, yeah, naked I came from my womb. Naked I'll return. The Lord gives. The Lord takes away. Now, can we get good from God as well as evil? I mean, it'll be all right. God will work it out. We just need to trust God. But time begins to go on. And Job begins to get counsel from his friends. 
who think they are theologically sound, and in some ways they are. Or they misapply their theology. And so Job, over time, all of a sudden that day, when in chapter 1, okay, I lost, we lost our kids, and this wind, whirlwind comes and tears down the house, and our kids, and our possessions, all this is gone. Chapter 2, all of a sudden Satan comes back and says, no, Job's just self, self-satisfying. Job doesn't care about his kids, he doesn't care about his possessions, give me his health. And all of a sudden he's full of sores from head to foot, and he's out in the dust and the ashes. And all of a sudden his friends come and they begin to have these discussions about Job. Obviously you've sinned. Obviously you've sinned. Obviously you've sinned. Job, repent of your sins. God's judging you. God's judging you. And Job's looking at his life saying, I don't see it. I've looked for it. I don't even know what to repent of. I'm innocent. Take your Bible and look at Job's reaction. Job questions God's just justice in chapter 9. Look at verse 22. It is all one, therefore I say. He destroys both the blameless and the wicked. When disaster brings sudden death, he mocks at the calamity of the innocent. The earth is given into the hand of the wicked. He covers the faces of its judges. If it is not he, then who is it? What is Job saying? Job saying, wait a second. As time has gone on, he begins to question, wait a second, God. I have looked at my life and I am innocent. I don't understand why I'm going through this. And in chapter 9, Job has gotten to the point that he says, wait a second, God must not be just. God just must be up there in the sky, and he just takes his suffering and he throws it down there. Oh, I hit the righteous person. Oh, I hit the wicked person. Oh, well. Like God is somehow not in control. In fact, he uses the picture that the the human judges are sitting down here and they have this court case and God just covers their eyes and they're just eeny, meeny, miny, moe. You're right. He says, God is not just. It doesn't seem like, I mean, I look around and the wicked are living however they want. They They don't go to church. They don't worship God. If you go back to chapter one, Job every day would offer sacrifices for his 10 kids just in case they sinned. And hadn't turned back to God. And he, he's, he's doing all this. And he sees the wicked out there. And he says, they're just partying on. They still have their kids. They still have their possessions. They have it all together. And I am sitting here suffering. I've lost everything. God doesn't seem just. Is there anything like my kids? Kids like to term it this way. It's not fair. They got six M&M's, I got five. Life's not fair. And folks, we can be just like those kids. We can sit back and say, wait a second, God, you missed it. I shouldn't have to go through this. I don't deserve this. God, where did you mess up? In fact, Job goes on in chapter 10 to say, well, why does God contend against me? He seems to be against me. 10 verse 2, he says, I will say to God, (laughs) this is Job, I will say to God, when I get before God, I will say to him, do not condemn me. Let me know why you contend against me. God, I want to know why. Does it seem good to you to oppress, to despise the work of your hands and favor the designs of the wicked? A friend 
when you are walking through innocent suffering, you may come to the time where you look and say, God is totally against me. I don't know what is going on, but God doesn't like me. Maybe you had that teacher. Anybody have a teacher that just, there was nothing you could do right? Just me, huh? I mean, everybody else was just as bad as I was. I don't know why they picked on me. But you ever had that teacher, you're like, dude, I can do, it does not matter what I do, she'll never be happy. That's how Job feels God is. God, you're contending against me. Everything you do is against me. And I want to know why. God, I deserve an explanation why I'm walking through this. I have a right to know. So Job is wondering why God's contending against him. Why, why, why? And what really makes it hopeless is that Job has no hope he can find God. Turn to chapter 23. Look at chapter 23, verse 8. He says, Behold, I go forward, but he is not there, and backwards, but I do not perceive him. On the left hand, when he is working, I do not behold him. He turns to the right hand, but I do not see him. What is he saying? Job says, In all this, in all this, God, I want to know why. But the problem is, when I stand before God, I'm going to demand an answer. I'm going to tell him that I'm innocent. But the problem is, I can't find God. Here I am. I'm going through this suffering. And yes, a day, two days, a week. And it seems like I should be able to work this out. And now it's been months and months and going on years. And God, I want an answer. And the problem is, I can't find him. Folks, you ever been there? You're going through your deepest, darkest days. Suffering. It just seems like you open your Bible and there's nothing. You kneel in prayer and it doesn't seem to go out of the room. In fact, Job would say, turn over to chapter 30, verse 20. He even says it. He says, verse 20, I cry to you for help and you do not answer me. I stand and you only look at me. You have turned cruel to me with the might of your hand. You persecute me. He says, I am sitting here. God, I am crying for you. I want to hear from you. I want to know you, God, and I can't find you. I cry out and there's no answer. It's as if you're just standing there staring at me with nothing. In the dark night of despair, Job doesn't hear God speak. There's nothing. Folks, have you ever been there? Some of you may be there right now. God, I just want to know why. But I go to church and I sit there and I just don't seem to get anything. I pray and it just doesn't seem to leave the room. I try to read my Bible, try to listen to sermons. I try and try And it feels like I'm spiritually dry. In fact, Job would say in chapter 19, here's my hope. Job's hope is still there, but his glimmer of hope is, I cry, for I know that my Redeemer lives. And at the last he will stand on the earth. And after my skin has thus been destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God whom I shall see for myself. And my eyes shall behold and not another. My heart faints within me. Here's Job's hope. 
Job has gotten to the point that he says, you know what? I don't think God's going to answer me. I'm not going to find God. My hope is I will die. And one day I die, I still have the faith that one day I will see my Redeemer. His only hope is in death. He doesn't see any answers here for this life. Somehow, God will use this for good. Somehow, maybe in my death, I will get answers. But I just don't find God. It's interesting that you can go through the entire book of Job up until verse 30, or chapter 38. And God doesn't speak. Job's friends speak. Elihu comes and says he is prophesying from God. He speaks. Job speaks. And there's nothing. Until we get to verse, or to chapter 38, verse 1. And look what it says. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind. Where did Job see the last whirlwind? Took down the house his kids were in. Right? Oh, the whirlwind. The whirlwind's a bad thing. It came and blew down the house. Here comes the storm and God's in it. And God speaks out of the whirlwind. And he says, who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Dress for action like a man and I will question you when you will make it known to me. All right, Job, you wanted to question. You have the question why. And at this point, when God speaks, if you're anything like me, you're like, man, God could tell him a lot of things that would make him understand. Right? You and I have the benefit of chapters 1 and 2. We can say, well, we know God's not doing this. God has allowed and set the parameters, and Satan has come to bring this trial in Job's life. This this trial and, and this innocent suffering. We know Satan's doing it. And all God would have had to do here is say, Job, let me, let me tell you what's happening in chapter 1 and 2. You're going to have a book written about you. And in chapter 1 and 2, I'm going to tell you, it's not me, it's Satan. And I'm guiding this to you, through you, and through this situation, I have it taken care of. And let me just tell you, Job, while you're going through this, let me tell you the end of the book. Verse in chapter 42, you're going to find out Job's going to get all his stuff back and he's going to have 10 more kids. Now, that probably would have freaked his wife out. She's like, I've already had 10. Here come 10 more. But he's going to have 10 more kids. He's going to be prosperous. God could have said that. Hold on, Job. You're almost there. But God never says it. God comes. He answers Job from the whirlwind. And this is what he says. I paraphrase some of them. Put them down in some points. I'm not going to go through all of chapter 38 or 39 or we would never get done. He says, first of all, in 4 through 7, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Job, I measured this out is his picture. Job, there's a reason the sun is so far from the earth. If it was any farther away, you would freeze. Any closer, you'd burn up. Job, were you there when I measured that out? The pillars of the earth that you say I shake in injustice, were you there when I built them? And the obvious answer is no. But the answer is not just no, Job wasn't there. It's yes, God was there. Job, I created you. I created this universe. I measured it all out. I put it together. And what happened at the end of verse 7, all the sons of God shouted for joy. It was joyous. It was perfect. 
And Job, you weren't there. Number two, the sea. Job, looking for a minute at the sea. If you've ever been on a lake or on the ocean, I remember when we went on our cruise, we were on the cruise and we had this massive storm come up on us. And here you are on this massive, massive ship. And we went up and we're in the pool up on the top deck and literally the water would slosh and you could stand at the bottom and it'd come back the other way and it'd sit you up on the water slide. And we were in there just rolling through this storm and you're like, man, it doesn't matter how big this ship is, this storm is rolling. He says, have you seen the sea, Joe? Who made the sea stop where it does? You notice that even a massive hurricane stops. It can only go so far. These massive waves come rolling in. Who put the rock cliffs there, Joe? Did you? And obviously, God is getting to Job to the point to realize this powerful ocean has to stop. And I stopped it. Job, I have more power than this ocean. Then he says, hey, have you considered water? Every day we go to the tap, we flip on the water faucet, and we get a drink. And we don't even think about it. We get up in the morning, hopefully, you take a shower, you turn on the water, you get in the shower, you don't think about it. He said, Joe, just for a minute, consider water. And he's going to even say, I have uh, storehouses of hail and snow. Hail and snow in the Old Testament are pictures of judgment. He rained down hail on Sodom and Gomorrah. Most of you from North Carolina can say, I can see how snow would be a judgment. We hate the stuff, right? It shuts us down. We can't do anything. Us from up north, we're like, get out the snowmobiles, let's ride. But he says, think about it. You have water droplets that freeze and come down in hail. We saw it the other night. And what kind of damage can they cause? You got snow, little snowflake. Give me a million of those and it'll shut down the state. He says, man... Water can be destructive. He said, but wait, 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 wait. I can also say in a rainstorm, and it can rain down, and what happens? Grass grows. The same thing that can be destructive can be used for life, Job. And he says, while we're at it, just think about dew. Think about frost. Think about ice. Water's pretty impressive. We take it for granted, but water is really impressive. And it can bring destruction. It can bring blessing. Hey, Joe, who designed water? And think about the storms. Same one that blew down your house. Guess what? We will sit there and look at a storm and say, you know what? Depending on the day, maybe you have a wedding you're going to. Or you're going to a fun fun day and you're like, please, God, don't let it rain. Please, God, don't let it rain. Please, God, don't let it rain. And it rains and you say, oh, God hates me. At the same time, a farmer like Tony may be sitting up there going, please, God, let it rain. Please, God, let it rain. Please, God, let it rain. And that storm rains. What did that storm bring? For one, it was a blessing. For the other, it was a trial of great proportions. Right? It's the same storm. God says, Job, do you understand that a storm can bring life and it can bring death? Who made the storm, Job? Because here's the fact of the matter. My friend, it doesn't matter the suffering you're going through. You're always looking at it from what? Your perspective. I can't believe it rained. 
Maybe the farmer needed rain. So he says, consider water. And then he says, check out the animals. As C.J. Mahaney said, let's go to the zoo. Joe, let's go to the zoo. Check out the lions. So in chapter 38, he says, can you, in verse 39, can you hunt the prey for the lion or satisfy the appetite of the, the, appetite of the young lions? When they crouch in their dens or lie wait in their thicket, who provides for the raven his prey? When its young ones cry to God for help and wander around for lack of food. Here's the picture. You go, to the, the, you go and see this baby little lion. And you got this little kitty lion. And you're like, oh, the lion cub, it's so cute. And it starts crying for food. And you're like, would somebody please, please feed the baby lion? It's so cute and it's so cuddly. God says, all right. So the lioness goes out, and what does she do? Here comes a herd of antelope, and they come running by, and there's this weak baby antelope in the back, and you're like, oh, isn't that antelope? Ah! And the lion jumps on it and kills it. Starts tearing its flesh from it, and you're like, oh, time out. I didn't want that. What happened to the antelope? God said, wait a second. I thought you wanted the lion to be fed. Yeah, but that's bloody, and it's gross. And I just, yeah, but that, that's how the lion feeds the baby. Oh, and by the way, that antelope, yeah, it died, but it also feeds the baby ravens. What's his point? Hey, Joe, did you design the universe? Because while you would look at it from the antelope's point of view and go, ooh, that's terrible. God, why would you let that happen? You can look at it from the lion and the raven's point of view and say, it's feeding my babies. What's his point? Listen, on either side, it depends how you look at it. That antelope has died. And if you're on the antelope point of view, you're like, oh, I can't believe you brought this in my life. If you're on the lion's point of view, you're like, thank you, God. And my friend, when we go through times of suffering, which side are we always looking on? Ours. When we walk through suffering, we look like it is our side and the world revolves around us. And what God is saying is, Job, I see it all. And when you walk through there, listen, I know that that can be evil. It can look like evil. Is this not what Joseph said in Genesis chapter 50? My brothers threw me in a pit. Oh, Job, you're suffering. Oh, wait a second, you got a job at Potiphar's house. That's cool. Oh, his wife lied about you and you got your back in prison. Job, or, uh, Joseph, what are you going to do? This is horrible. At the end of the day, in chapter 50, Job says what? All of it was meant for evil, but God meant it for good. Look at the innocent suffering of Christ. Satan meant it for evil. Oh, it's victory. He died on the cross. Satan wins. Three days later, God had other plans. Well, God, I don't like the cross. It's gory. It's gruesome. God says it's necessary. My friend, be careful in times of suffering. Because what God is doing may not be able to be seen from our point of view. God didn't answer Job's question why. He said, look at the lion. Yeah, it's gory, but it's meant to feed the babies. Then he goes on. He says, look at the mountain goats and the deer. Chapter 39, verse 1. 
Do you know when the mountain birds, the goats give birth? Do you observe the calving of the does? What's his point? Mountain goats takes about five months that they carry their babies before they give birth. And all the ladies say, oh, wouldn't that be nice? The deer, it takes seven months. Why? I mean, are they that different? It's a deer and a mountain goat. Why, why the difference in how long they carry their babies? And here's your answer that you give your kids when they ask why 432 times. Because God made it that way. That's what he's saying. Job, do you know why, why the goat? Why did the goat only have to carry in five months? Deer carries it seven months. Humans, ten months. Why? Because God designed it. But don't miss sight of the fact that we just ended chapter 38 talking about lions destroying animals, killing to eat. And God says, I'm in charge of the killing and feeding of the animals, just like I'm in charge of what? Life, death, life. Job, I've got it under control. I'm the author of life. I am there when the mountain goat and the the doe gives baby. I numbered the months. I know when they're fulfilled. And as any mother will tell you, guess what? It's not easy getting to the birth. I told them in my Sunday school class this morning, listen, if I was a girl and I had to give birth, I could tell you how many kids I'd have. One. And I said, no more. Y'all crazy. Right? But when the birth happens, what happens to all the memories of the pregnancy? It's so worth it. Job, hold on. You're going through suffering. But guess what happens in the end? It's going to be worth it. Why? Because God is in control of life. God is in control of death. He goes on to say, look at the ostrich. Chapter 13, or verse 13 in chapter 39. The wings of the ostrich were proudly. Now, no, wait, wait, wait. This is one animal God actually doesn't ask questions about. He just says, the wings of the ostrich wave proudly. So if you've ever seen an ostrich, big long neck, big long legs, they walk around, those wings are flapping. Why do they have wings? They don't fly. Stupid bird. You've got wings, you're supposed to be able to fly. Nope. Got wings, don't fly. In fact, God says, and the other thing they do, is they go through this whole thing to go lay their eggs, and they lay their eggs, and they don't sit on them. They just take off. Beast might walk over them and smash them. Who knows? It's amazing they're not extinct. They don't even care for their young. And look what God says. She deals cruelly with her young. Verse 17, because God has made her forget wisdom. God made the bird stupid. That's what he says. He made her forget wisdom, gave her no share in understanding. She's a dumb bird. And so God made it. Why, God? The, the wings don't fly the thing. It doesn't have a brain. And yet what? But when she rouses herself to flee, when danger comes, the horses can't catch her. She's got wings. She doesn't fly, but she can stroll. Paul Siciliano down here this Saturday, I'm pretty sure we'll be watching the Kentucky Derby. If you've ever watched horse racing, they come out and they're swinging that thing. And boy, they're just urging those horses on. And all of a sudden, out of the gate, boom, what if an ostrich came out? And zoom down in, and here comes this dumb bird, wings, but it can't fly, and goes on down and wins the race. God says, horse, 
If you read the whole next section, we won't look at it. It's a powerful animal. In fact, it was the military tank of the day. If you had enough horses, you were going to win the battle. And yet this stupid bird that can't fly is faster than the horse. Has superiority. Why? Who knows? God made it that way. Why? Because God had a plan. Job, look at the ostrich. Survives as superior to the horse. Why? Because I made it that way. You don't understand, Job. You can't understand. And lastly, he ends with the eagle in, in chapter 39, the end of the chapter, verse 26. Is this your understanding? The hawk soars, spreads its wings toward the south. It is that your command that the eagle mounts up and makes its nest on high. And on the rock he dwells and makes his home on the rocky crag and stronghold. stronghold. And you're like, wow, yes, the picture of the calendar, right? Every calendar, good Christian calendar you get has a picture of an eagle. It has the verse, the mount of wings like eagles, right? But that's not the picture God's giving you. He says, why do they soar? Why are they so powerful and amazing? Well, God created them that way. But how does he finish from there, he spies out his prey. The eagle can see over two miles and see that mouse, see that rabbit, reach uh, speeds of 200 miles an hour. His eyes behold it from far away, and his young ones suck up the blood where the slain are. There he is. What they call in Wisconsin and Minnesota the wolf of the sky that will come down in a cow giving birth to the cab calf, an eagle will come down and pluck it in the head and kill the calf before it's even out of the birthing canal and begin to eat it. We'll carry off goats and dogs. Why? This majestic bird, the psalmist says in Psalm 147, God feeds it. God made it that way. God offers it. He brings it food. Just like he did the raven and the lion at the beginning of this. Why, God? Because God controls, as Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, he feeds the birds of the air. And when we think of birds of the air, we don't think of the raven. But listen, next time you see roadkill, guess what? The roadkill is there for a reason. God's feeding the ravens. Yes, it's gruesome and it looks terrible and the prey has been destroyed. But God's at work there. God is in control of that. And what is he saying? Job, listen to me. You think you can stand before me and say, why God? I need to understand. But how many of you as a teenager asked your parents to go somewhere and they said no? And you say, why God? Uh, why dad? Why mom? And he, well, there's some reasons why I don't want you going there. Well, tell them about me. And anybody ever had their parents say this? Son, you're not going to understand, but you need to trust me. Well, why? Because I haven't let you down before. I know what goes on there. You don't need to be there. You have to trust me. And we have two responses. Some of us at different times have said, my parents hate me. My life is terrible. They never want me to have any fun. I'm going to go do it anyways. And where does that get you? As Chip said today, you're calling dad for bail. Right? Destruction. Or you can say, you know what? 
My mom and dad haven't let me down. They love me. They care about me. I will trust them. That's what God says. Listen, you go through that innocent suffering. You say, why, God? I don't understand. God, please tell me why. And God says, all you need to know is who I am. If you will trust me, I'll take care of it. You don't need to know the beginning. You don't need to know the end. You just need to know who I am. Turn very quickly and we're done. Chapter 42. Job answers the Lord. After all this, I know that you can do all things. And that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore I have uttered what I did not understand. Things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Hear and I will speak. I will question you and you will make it known to me. I heard of you by hearing of the ear. And now my eye sees you. Therefore I despise myself. I repent in dust and ashes. If you go back to chapter 1. And two, Job puts himself in sackcloth and ashes. He's in this mourning, repenting, in this dust and ashes. And in chapter 42, when he still hasn't got the answer why, he sees who God is and says, I realize that I'm not going to understand. I realize that you are God. God did not change his circumstances God changed his heart. Let me say that again. God's answer, though he did not answer why, he answered who? Who is God? Did not change Job's circumstance, it changed Job's heart. In that moment, Job repented and said, God, I've, I've, been, I've been foolish. I've spoken things I don't understand. God, I can trust you. God, I can rely on you. God, forgive me. My friend, listen. When we go through times of suffering and we go through times when we don't understand why, what we need to understand is who God is. Because it's not about changing circumstance. It's about changing the heart. And Job responds in repentance. He says, God, I'm not worthy to even come up and ask the question why. You are too great. I will trust in you. My friend, that is what God wants. So that we can say, as Paul did in Philippians 3, Whatever gain I had. Paul says, I, I was a Pharisee. I had all power. I had all kinds of money. I had a position. He says, I counted it as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. My friend, when you go through the innocent suffering, it is in those times that God teaches you to trust in Him. It is those times that you pray harder than you've ever prayed before. It is those times when you get into God's Word like you've never read it before and you begin to know God. But it's also those times when you can rebel and walk away and say, well, God's obviously not a God to love. But my friend, if you will know God, you will learn to trust Him. He will change your heart.